Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged in as a guest, and I do see a few guests in the chat room, and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on reviving the legacy of Annie Ballone. And I'm so happy to have the officers of the Annie Malone Historical Society share with us what that legacy is. Linda Nance is the president of the Annie Malone Historical Society and earned bachelor degrees in psychology and in sociology from Maryville University in St. Louis, Missouri. Linda Jones is the vice president of the Annie Malone Historical Society and is a gifted educator, historian, writer, and lecturer. She received her Master of Business Administration from Indiana University and a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration from Calumet College. She currently teaches finance and accounting classes at Indiana Wesleyan University in Maryville, Indiana. So let me give just a warm welcome to Miss Linda Nance and Miss Linda Jones. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you very much for having we us. Enjoy the opportunity to be here. 
Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you all here tonight because we're going to talk about the black healthcare, uh, the black healthcare industry. And to help us understand what we're talking about, I'd like you all to tell us who were the pioneers in the black healthcare industry? Well, there were a number of them. Um, the heavy hitters, there were three heavy hitters. One was Annie Malone, the other was Sarah Washington, and the other was Madam C.J. Walker. There were many others during the early part of uh, the 1900s, but those were the three heavy hitters that were very um, prominent and went very far, very fast. Right, and, and many of us have heard a lot about uh, Madam Walker, but what I want you all to do is to tell us more about Mrs. Annie Malone. And before you even tell us about Mrs. Annie Malone, when and why was the Annie Malone Historical Society created? Well, we created it in January of 2012. And we decided to do that because um, both Linda Jones and I had a very deep-seated interest in making sure that more people knew about the wonderful contributions that were made by Ms. Malone. She spent about 30 years in the St. Louis area, and when she left, um, there wasn't a whole lot of, of information that was left about her. I had an opportunity to uh, write an article in 2006 for the Missouri Historical Society, and as I was looking for information about her in the public libraries, I found very little, which was disappointing to me. And I found, as I searched on the websites and looked in uh, different books, talked to different people who may have attended the college, that there wasn't very much information that they had to share. And it was bits and pieces. And I thought, well, how in the world is somebody supposed to put together um, a comprehensive look at who this woman was and what she contributed. Um, so I began to just dig, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> and the website came about because we wanted to put comprehensive information about Ms. Malone's contributions to philanthropy, to education, and about her life and business in a place where you can go and find out lots of information very quickly about her. And there is where the website came from. Okay, so this was uh, 2012, and yes. so take us back now because you, you said her life and you wanted to find more information about her, so tell us exactly who is Annie Malone. Okay, I can tell you a little bit about her. Annie Malone was born to Robert and Isabella Cook, um, former slaves. She was the tenth of 11 children, and she was born in Metropolis, Illinois. Uh, she was born, in fact, we'll be celebrating her birthday on August the 9th. She, had, uh, she, will, uh, she was born in uh, 18, on August the 9th, 1869, and she died in uh, May the 10th, 1957. But she was um, orphaned as a child. Her parents died when she was young. And she went to live with one of her siblings, I believe a sister in Peoria, Illinois. And from there, um, she, she 
had some illnesses that prevented her. I think her eyesight, I've read, that prevented her from finishing high school. But she had a, a, an aunt who was known as a herb, herb doctor, and she would gather ingredients for medicinal uses. And Annie uh, credits, credits her aunt for helping her to develop some of her compounds that she used for her products. And uh, so she was always fascinated with hair. She would play with in her sister's hair. And, and it was something that she always as a child wanted to do as an adult. And uh, even though they laughed at her, they didn't think she was serious. I mean, who would ever think that a, a black woman could make a living on, on, on doing hair, black hair especially? So that was how she developed her interest in hair. And it just pursued. She kept going and going until she eventually started her business. Many community people would come and um, seek her attention because uh, black women at the time often used goose grease or heavy oils or fats to groom themselves and, and control their hair. And it would often damage their scalps so badly that the follicles would not regrow the hair. And you, you saw lots of women who wore rags on their heads. It wasn't just to hold back the sweat. It was also to hide the unsightly scalp a lot of times. And in her community, she won lots of success in uh, helping people to get their hair back, to get their hair much more manageable and clean. Well, this and, and is another thing. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to interject that. This was after the Civil War and after slavery. And um, you've seen pictures of black women at this time period when they had their heads covered uh, because of illnesses that they had, poor diets uh, also. And so she wanted to make a difference. She wanted to help women uh, to overcome those obstacles. And uh, so it, it was important to her that she find, develop a product because women just didn't know that they, they were sickly. They, they, coming out of, the, as I said, the Civil War and uh, slavery, they didn't have opportunities to really take care of themselves. Right, but she was born in 1869. So at what period in her life did she begin to explore uh, hair care? It was very early in her life. Um, I think it was 1900 is my first understanding of her actually establishing a business and going out and, and she went from door to door demonstrating her products that she mixed herself, um, impressing on the women that she talked with on a one-on-one -on -one basis that um, to improve your self-image, you need to improve your cleanliness and you can start with your hair. And she demonstrated and offered those demonstrations at no cost to many people um, about how to clean your hair, how to groom yourself, and impressing upon people that that was one way to improve your self-image. Um, so one of, one of her biggest marketing tools was herself. She went from door to door individually talking with uh, the women of color that she interacted with, and that is what set her business on the road. And when she went door to door, you, you mentioned at, at one point that people use goose grease and other types of products that damage their hair. What did she actually take from door to door? She mixed products on her own. As, as Linda mentioned, um, 
she would mix up different products on her own, uh, a, dump, a number of different herbal uh, mixtures that would clean the hair and also relax the hair. She also um, found a compound that would relax the hair to the point that it would provide the kind of control women were looking for. And because of that, um, it became a, a very popular item uh, and people talked to one another and recommended her, mm-hmm. just like any other good product. Uh, word of mouth is a, is a wonderful, wonderful advertisement, <laughs> and and that helped her tremendously. Very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. Now, did she have a, a chemist background, or what? I mean, other than to have had uh, a relative uh, that practiced herbs and knew how to mix things. What? What type of educational background did she have? As was mentioned, um, she was not able to finish school because she did have some health problems. But she always had, from what I've read, an interest in chemistry, in mixing different things together and seeing how they reacted uh, and what effect they had, particularly on the hair. And she mixed her own chemicals. Exactly which elements did she use? I don't know those names of those things. But I do know she would often experiment with what reacted well with the hair Mm -hmm. and evidently got quite a bit of success with it because she developed uh, quite a line of products to deal with not only the hair but the complexion and the skin um, in terms of um, perfumes and things of that sort. So as she continued, correct, different potions, as she continued in her um, business life, she developed a, a full line of products that really were attractive to women and helped them establish um, some, some self-image. Uh, a lot of times in the early 1900s, the image of beauty was of a Caucasian woman with nicely coughed hair. And mm-hmm. Annie Malone really felt that that wasn't the only um, thing you could measure yourself in terms of beauty. She felt that a black woman had beauty in and of herself, and she needed to be able to express that. And she felt very strongly that if you carried yourself well, you dressed yourself well, and you cared for your appearance, it would improve a person's idea of who you were. So when she talked to people, she always accentuated that beauty is what you already have. And you presenting yourself in a positive fashion enhances that beauty. Oh, that sounds actually, wonderful. I, I think that goes to, that speaks to the name of her business, Poro, Poro, which is um, a West African term. And it, it means, it denotes um, an organization whose aim is to uh, discipline and enhance the body in both physical and spiritual form. So when she tried to teach women, we don't have to look like Caucasians to be beautiful. She, she you don't have to, to straighten your women, hair necessarily. You, know. you just have to really right. clean your hair. Yeah. Right, right. She did. So you all are speaking uh, as if you really know her on a personal level. So help me understand, where are you picking up your sources of information about Mrs. Malone? Well, I think that's a really interesting question, Bernice, because 
um, when we first started this, it, it, the, the research was very scattered. Um, as I mentioned before, we looked at um, Internet uh, sites, and often what we found was that one piece of information was repeated throughout a variety of different sites. And uh, that piece of information could have been totally accurate from one website to another, or there may be small changes that would make you question whether the site that you saw before was accurate or not. We looked at a variety of newspapers from several different cities throughout the United States. And again, you found the same piece of information uh, repeated, but there might have been um, a, a, an ounce of something different, or you might have found that um, the information was simply repeated all over again. It's been a great source looking at the newspapers because you do learn new things. And um, I'll talk a little bit later about some of those discoveries that were made in different newspapers. But you also had an opportunity to look at um, and try and find people who might have gone to school there, particularly in the St. Louis area. I would often find myself talking to people with some age and asking, were you familiar with the Poro College? Did you attend? Or I'm very interested in Annie Malone, and I wonder if you know anything about. And frequently I got people who said, well, I went to school there, or my aunt did, or my mother did. Or as in one particular situation, I had a church member to ask if I could authenticate the signature of Annie Malone, which made my eyes get big as melons. And <laughs> we talked a little bit, and I went over to her house, and found that she had, she was a keeper. She kept some of everything. She had the mailing tube that had her mother's diploma in it. She had a graduation certificate from the Poro College that her mother earned. Um, and, and as I talked to her, I, I found several different things. So our, our method of research, research was basically that we talked to people who we could, we looked at websites, we looked at um, listings in the different libraries that we have. And that's where we gathered most of our information. Well, it's very interesting that you had an opportunity to, to see the mailing tube, the graduation certificate, and to meet with the person you called the keeper. <laughs> yes. Because yes. <laughs> That that that's the primary. You know, we we talked about primary uh, sources and secondary sources, and so you uh, had an opportunity to see a, a primary document. Oh yeah. However, she even had said, she she even uh, had a, a a a notepad piece of paper that was written in pencil that had um, different uh, sulfurs and salts, um, things that she's supposed to mix together. And my eyes just about wept, really, because I'm thinking, is this possibly some formula that an independent agent used on a particular customer? Was this a problem customer, or was this something that um, this particular plural agent used on a regular basis? Um, so it was it was exciting just to to see that that piece of paper was kept all those years. I want to say that uh, the the diploma had a, a 1926 uh, date on it, and I was just amazed that it was still in the in the tube. 
Oh. Yes. And also, um, I uh, have been to Chicago often. Uh, there at the um, Carter G. Woodson Library on 95th Avenue in Chicago. And there's a Harsh Library, which has a lot of black historical documents and memorabilia. And uh, I've gone there... Uh, quite a bit. Yes, yeah, not a microfish. That's harsh. And, and that's hard on your eyes. But going there and looking, and, and they have a collection there. It's called the French Collection, which is named, I guess, after her nephew who donated uh, a lot of her um, artifacts. And so we've been able to look through some of that as well. But we're not finding a lot through basically through just uh, former uh, people or people that used to to work for her or their 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 relatives, and that's what we would like to be able to find to put our hands on something like that. <laughs> right, but you're talking now. Was she still involved in the college uh, back? You said she passed away in 1957. So how long was she involved with the college? Well, first of all, she came to St. Louis in 1902 in um, pursuit of an opportunity to get her product into, into more people's hands during the World's Fair. But the World's Fair got postponed and she did not um, participate because it didn't happen in 1902. So what she did is she opened uh, her business here in St. Louis on uh, Pine Street, I believe it was, the first business that she opened here. But she took herself south to be in front of a lot of other people of color and to really try and market her materials in the south. And what happened really was that she changed her marketing strategy altogether. Previously, she had gone from door to door individually talking to people and providing demonstration. But there in the south, a number of the women said, you know, it would be a lot easier for us if we like met in one place and you ask us all to come and you talk to all, us all at one time because, you know, there are lots of things we must do here and it would just help us if you just talk to all of us at one point. So they talked to a minister who let them use a church and they basically went to that church and got the information that she had to offer and she convinced lots of other women to come in with her and do what she was doing, which was going door to door and talking to people and having uh, these products that she made available to them to start their own businesses, really. And when she came back to St. Louis, prior to the 1904 World's Fair, Annie Malone did a press conference. She tried to contact all the African-American media, and she basically told them she was going to open a college. And train people to do everything that she did. She was going to teach them how to uh, do hair, to order product, to dress themselves, to do their books, to walk and talk and do everything that needed to be done to positively market this product, which was the Poro system. And in 1904, she did participate in the World's Fair and did share a lot more of her product with a lot of other people in St. Louis and the black media uh, during that time thought this is never going to happen. How is this woman, an African-American woman in 1904 going to pull this off? And um, it was a reality. She had, a, she needed a larger facility. 
uh, because she did have the school that was operational. Um, wasn't a big place, but it was in one of the, the townhomes uh, down uh, in the city of St. Louis. And in 1918, she actually made that press conference information good because she built mm-hmm. a huge facility in the center of the black community. Um, the thing that I think is, is very interesting about getting to that point is that St. Louis had a lot of covenants that restricted people's movement in the city of St. Louis. The Ville neighborhood, yes, yes. The, the people of color, had a lot of housing restrictions that restricted their movement. Um, and the Ville became a, a very large center of African-American culture. She yes. built this facility that was a block long, and in that facility you had um, not only the manufacturing plant for her materials, but she had her offices, and she built it to be a community resource. She had a theater that would seat about 300 people. She had a restaurant and an ice cream parlor. It had barbershop and multiple classrooms where she could actually teach um, her poro agents all the information that they needed to, to be prepared to be good agents. Um, there were offices that the public could come in. There was a large lobby that had telephones uh, that welcomed people in to use them because a lot of people didn't have telephones in their homes in that particular time frame. And you're talking about a time frame where no woman had the right to vote in 1918. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very few women worked outside of the home at that particular point. So we're, we're talking about a, an African-American woman who felt and had the vision to prepare for the community, not just what she was trying to sell. In, in that college, in that manufacturing company, she employed about 175 people. She was not just a consumer or an educator. She was an employer. She made lives possible for uh, people of color in a fashion that was well beyond a domestic, that was well beyond taking care of someone else's family. And the, the part that I particularly like is that Annie Malone taught women how to be business owners at a time when most women were not even thinking of owning a business. And that business was in their homes, which allowed them to raise their own children, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. It, um, it is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I'm just listening to you and you're you're telling us this story. And you know how I, I we have talked and I'm, I'm always interested in where is this information coming from? How are you pulling it all together? Because you have described the building, you described the meeting in the church, uh, mm-hmm. you talked about the news conference. Uh, just, just help us understand where all of this is coming from. Because I know as a historical society, you're looking at history, you're gathering something from somewhere. Exactly. The University of Missouri, St. Louis, was one of the repositories of information when the building was sold. Annie Malone left St. Louis in 1930. Um, 
1927, which was a very hard year for Annie Malone, and I personally don't know how she survived it, but there were a number of different things that occurred in her life that were altering. She had a divorce that was going on. Um, she married twice in her life, once to a Nelson Pope and then again to Aaron Malone. And in 1927, Aaron Malone approached the state of Missouri and said that he wanted them to determine and take the college, the Poro College, into receivership to determine if he should go away with it or Annie Malone should go away with it in the settlement of their divorce. There was a very ugly process that took place, a very ugly and very public process that took place where newspapers all over the country uh, talked about their divorce, talked about how the state government took it into receivership, was evaluating who had the larger interest in it, who contributed more of their, their business knowledge to make it grow. And bottom line is they determined that Annie Malone uh, had the business before the marriage, contributed the business acumen that helped to grow the business, and should keep the business. Um, there were times when she had to sue for injunctions to keep the state from taking vital papers that helped her operate her business. One of the, the great attorneys in the St. Louis community, uh, Homer G. Phillips, was one of her attorneys that helped her through that process. And eventually, Mr. Malone went away for a settlement of $200,000 and some property that she provided him. And she maintained the ownership of Poro College and the Poro business. But because it was so public, she did decide St. Louis is not the place for her, and she picked up everything and left St. Louis and went to Chicago and started the empire all over again. She purchased several homes um, in a, a mansion, several mansions. I think it was three of them. She purchased all in a row and began her business from those mansions in Chicago. Okay, and with that, we're going to take a quick break so that when we come back, we can talk a little bit more about what happened once she left St. Louis and then just tell us a little bit more about other things that you have learned about Miss Malone. So we'll take a quick break and come right back.
welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Now, you have been listening to Miss Linda Nance and Miss Linda Jones discuss reviving the legacy of Annie Malone. Now, I have opened the lines, the phone lines, so if you want to call in to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Now, I do have a question coming out of the chat, and the question is, how long did Poro College last in St. Louis and exactly when did it close? I can tell you that from um, 1900, she was here. 1918, she opened a larger facility. She left in 1930. And after she left, the building still had uh, the poor old functioning in it probably until 69. To 1969. Yes. She sold the building not long after she left here, but there were still um, classes functioning in it. And there were also many other things that housed themselves, like the Lincoln University Law School was housed in that poor old building when the University of Missouri refused to have people of color in their law school. Um, They sued. Lloyd Gaines was a person backed by the NAACP that sued for the ability for people of color to go to law school. They said, no, we're not going to have you go to school here. We'll do a separate but equal thing and find you another place to go to school. They housed the Lincoln University Law School in the Poro building, and they functioned there for quite some time. Uh, But the building uh, was eventually sold and knocked down. It was sold and it was, you said, knocked down? Yes, it was torn down. The building is no more there. Okay. Yes. It's no longer, right. Uh, But there are are sketches and you can see what the building did look like. Yes. Uh, Annie Malone in 1926 did do a book called Poro in Pictures. And they took pictures of everything in the building. It had a beautiful rooftop garden that had large parties in it as well. And those pictures show and depict what a grand building that it was. It had in it all the best materials that could be bought at the time. The elevators, the stoves, everything that was in the building was uh, the best of its kind. She really equipped the building very well to represent um, the product that she was selling and teaching people to sell. The garage had approximately nine cars in it that she used to uh, pick up 
her agents as they came to St. Louis for training and retraining uh, because transportation wasn't that available for people in the early part of the 1900s. And also, I might add that um, she also had a hotel along with class dormitories uh, for her students when they came. Uh, The hotels, because at that time, of course, blacks or African-Americans could not go in and and stay at hotels. So she welcomed people to come to Poro. She she opened her doors because it was a community center, but she allowed people, uh, her guests, to stay at her hotel. It was not only a dorm, dormitory for her students, but she also had a hotel. So even after she left and went to Chicago, I believe that they, there was still a hotel, a Poro uh, hotel at uh, Poro College. And one of the, her favorite, one of her favorite charities was the St. Louis Colored Orphans Home. Um, Annie Malone was was a really large philanthropist. She contributed much to wherever she was in the St. Louis area, particularly that children's home was one, I would say, was part of her heart because um, she functioned as the uh, president of the board for a very long time. She donated uh, a piece of land worth $10,000 that helped to provide um, the space where the current Annie Malone Children and Family Service Center is. In 1946, they named the St. Louis Colored Children's Home after her in her honor. And they hold a parade today that still bears her name. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. She was one of America's first major black philanthropists. Uh, She um, donated large sums to charities. Also, she uh, supported two full-time students uh, to every uh, black land-grant college in the United States. She gave uh, to Howard University approximately twenty-five thousand um, dollars. She just uh, she also donated to, I believe, uh, was it Burns Hospital? They didn't have yes. a maternity ward for, for 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 Negro women, and so that way they could have their children born at a hospital. I mean, she just was phenomenal. It sounds like she was phenomenal. Now, how many? students actually went through the college? Actually, I don't know. I don't know the number of young people who actually went through the college. I know an estimate uh, of the number of Poro agents across the world because she had an international business, not just in the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. She had about uh, 75,000 agents, is my understanding. Wow. They were in every state in the United States. They were in Alaska, Canada, Nova Scotia, Haiti, Cuba, the Bahamas, Central and South America, Africa, and the Philippines. Right, and it sounds like her business model was to create all of the, I'm just going to throw this out, but it sounds like they were franchisers. Yes, you're correct. You're correct. Right. Now, I'm just looking at some of the postings that are being put up by True in the um, chat room. And one of them, she's just mentioning that there was a lien put on the university in 19, excuse me, the college in 1943. And it took eight years of her fighting it, according to one of the sites that she's looking at. 
Uh, You're correct. It was it was not uh, easily sold. There was a lot of um, legal battle. In fact, Annie Malone was plagued by a number of legal battles a little later in her life. Um, some that were from previous agents that she had. One was from a newspaper uh, reporter that had been thrown out of one of uh, of the auditorium here in St. Louis for whatever reason, uh, and I have not found the reason for that, but he was physically removed uh, for his rudeness, and he sued Annie Malone for that. Um, so she had a number of, of uh, legal challenges that really compromised the business, uh, and she had to struggle to maintain it at different points. In, in 1927... I mentioned that um, it was a difficult year. There was a horrible tornado in the St. Louis area that destroyed a lot of the north side. And the Poro College, with all of its resources, helped to feed and house and provide some medical assistance to thousands of people for about a two-week period, helping the Red Cross in the St. Louis area. And I think the estimate was like 5,000 people that she was able to uh, provide assistance for, along with the, the massive number of plural agents and students that she had at the college. Amazing. Now, there's right. a um, comment coming out of the chat right now, and it says, uh, this is from Angela, I have seen historically black newspapers in the 1920s and 30s with advertisements of hairdressers whose ads would say, Poro train. Apparently, that meant a lot in the world of beauty culture. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Um, she provided excellent training. It was well respected, obviously, all over the world. Um, and she would frequently travel to uh, different spots within the United States and abroad to encourage women to uh, retrain in the Poro system. So she really made an effort to maintain a presence wherever there was a college uh, and letting people know how good a job they did. She was very, very interested in um, helping people to know that people of color did marvelous things. She even dispatched some uh, photographers or videographers, I think as we call them now, to go to different places and record the positive things that people of color were doing and when they came back to St. Louis, she would show them at churches or at social club gatherings. She was always trying to put before people of color how, how much you can accomplish, how much you can do that's positive. She was always trying to uplift. I think one of the, the, the sightings we saw was um, race women. She said she was always trying to uplift race women. And those pictures well, also included like, pictures. I'm sorry. Those pictures also included Poro because a lot of people didn't have an opportunity to travel to St. Louis, and she wanted them to see what Poro was and what it was about. And when she took those that Poro, it, the Poro movie, I think it was called, um, yeah. she would allow various organizations, churches around the country when she traveled to um, to view those, but they could also charge a nickel or a quarter, and that way they would keep the revenue. So she was always about uplifting her community and helping. So she was a very giving well, person. I have a, 
it it sounds like she was a very giving person and there is a, a comment coming out of the chat that i'm certain that you all will be happy to hear this is from <laughs> valencia nelson and she's saying that my mother was a poro agent and i was a student of poro i yes. lived in the home oh. with mrs malone oh i love it i love it Fantastic. i had the opportunity I had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Valencia King Nelson um, as a result of going to um, the Midwest African-American Genealogy Institute just recently, and I learned so much from that group. Uh, and I met a young lady, uh, Angela um, Raji, uh, it's Angela Walton Raji, and she introduced me to Dr. Nelson. And I had an opportunity to talk with her, and she shared so much information about her mom. And I, I can't wait to talk to her more um, because I've learned so very much. She introduced me to another resource at the Schomburg uh, Research Center, which is a New York library, and introduced me to uh, the possibility that one of the ways I could learn more about the Poro College is looking at the Green Book. And I think I was like a kid with candy. I stayed up. <laughs> I stayed up most of the night looking at the different green books. Uh, they were published from 1936 through 1963-64, and it was a travel guide for people of color to know where they could safely stop for gas or for uh, food at a restaurant or a hotel to sleep in. And as it continued to develop, it told. Uh, where you could stop to get your hair done or you get a bar barbershop, get a haircut. Right. And quite often, through many states within the United States, I find beauty school, the poor old beauty school, or I find a number of different beauticians, which gives me ammunition or information, I should say, to further research and do exactly what we're trying to do, which is to compile an, a group of information about this wonderful lady, that's accurate and gives people a real good view of all of what she was. The businesswoman, the philanthropist, the person who's concerned about your community. One of the things Annie Malone did was hold an annual meeting where she celebrated the excellence of her agents. And she would give real estate, she would give diamonds, she would give furs, and she would always, always encourage her agents to be a part of your community. That's wonderful. We have a question. We have a question coming. We have a question on the phone line, area code 816. You're live. I have a question or a comment. Yes, uh, I remember uh, my parents uh, would often send my brothers and sisters to uh, work at the Annie Malone and volunteer things. Uh, I myself am young. My name is T. Lardy. I'm uh, in Detroit at the moment. Uh, but I'd like to know um, if there are speakers available to come to different sites and speak about Annie Malone? Yes. We would love to. Um, we frequently give uh, lectures at um, social clubs, 
at history museums, at um, we we had a mm-hmm. breast cancer group. We gave uh, yes uh, talks to and schools. We love to talk with young people. Linda, you can talk about your um, school in Michigan that you went to. Absolutely. Um, I was up in actually right out. I was in um, and I was in Michigan, not Detroit. Uh, uh, last year and uh, celebrating uh, Malcolm X Day, and um, it was fan- it was phenomenal the way the children were so eager to hear about Annie Malone. And we we do that when we have an invitation. We uh, try to you know set it up where we can attend. Uh, most of our invitations have been like locally where we live. However, that's not to say we won't travel because Michigan. I don't live in Michigan, so it's it's just something that we need to get her 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 message out. And if it means traveling, we will travel. We do what we have to do. So uh, feel free to contact us. Our information uh, is on the website. And uh, we would love to be able to, if at all possible, to to be there for a special program or to talk about Annie Malone. Okay, so as a as a call to action, what would you like to have happen as a result of you coming on and sharing with us uh, the need to revive the legacy of Mrs. Annie Malone? Well, um, I I think it would be a marvelous thing if we got invitations from uh, people who hear us or who visit the website and learn more about um, the presentation we have to offer, that they ask us to come and provide that learning to other people. Um, I frequently say, and my family frequently says, she'll talk to anybody who will listen about Annie Malone. And that's pretty well the truth. (laughs) Um, I get kind of excited because I think what she offered was so marvelous. If we had more people interested in the uplift of people of color, we would be a lot better society than we are at this moment. Um, I also think that um, it would be a great thing for people to to look at the August the 9th and know that this is a 146th birthday of this wonderful woman and go and do something that's like a random act of kindness because this lady's kindness was abounding. She was so interested in making sure that people educated themselves, making sure that people had an opportunity to present their best selves. If we could encourage people just on that day to get a taste of what it's like just to do something very kind to another person. Um, Go check on a senior citizen and say hello that's on your block or from your church. Go and water somebody's lawn. It's so hot. Uh, You might be able to to help them do something of that sort. They don't have to be huge things. They just have to be random acts of kindness that you can do. Carry somebody's groceries, you know. Um, That would be a wonderful thing to do to commemorate such a wonderful giving person. One of the things I, I would like your your listeners to take away about Annie Malone is that how selfless she was and how giving. I mean, that was brought out through her her you know philanthropy and but she was about thrift. Even though she was a multimillionaire, often when she had meetings, her employees, 
her pearl, pearl agents dressed better than she or, or more lavishly than she did. And she tried to get them to see that you don't have to wear those type of clothing. You don't have to dress. It's not about that. And and it, her servitude is what she was about. She had a, I believe her purpose was to be a servant. And she had very Christian principles that she lived by. Simple. She had a simple life. She really did. She didn't go out for being flashy. And, and uh, you know, it, and when people realize that, and we need to start with our children to teach them that it's not what you're wearing, it's who you are inside, you know, the type of person you are, and to try to give, just as Linda said, for her birthday, try to do something good for someone. Don't always think about you. It's not always about you. And if we can get people to understand about how important it is to help other people, you know, and we will have accomplished a lot because our mission is is to compile and disseminate this information about her. She was an extraordinary person, and and, and we have a vision. Uh, the Historical Society has a vision that the world will be a much better place if people could adopt the ideology of helping their communities and around the world. This is what she did. She gave of herself. Yes, one of the, one of the things that we would like to do as we educate people and. Um, educate um, larger institutions that don't even think about Annie Malone. Um, we have a, a griot museum here that is um, interested in, in portraying the different people within our African-American history that have done great things, and we want to work with them to eventually have an exhibit here in St. Louis because at this particular point there isn't one. And what we'd like to do is establish a museum exhibit that would let people know in, in that particular way that Annie Malone was a part of not only the, the city of St. Louis but the, and the state of Missouri, but a part of the world contributing a lot of things. When you think about it, um, Annie Malone was a definite pioneer in a lot of different things. She received um, an honorary degree from Howard University. Um, she uh, allowed for... Um, John C. Robinson to uh, teach pilots from her campus in Chicago. She was constantly doing things that helped to make people better. So part of my thinking is that if we were able to establish in people's minds that there was this woman before Internet, before Twitter, before mm -hmm. computers, that was willing to beat her feet against the pavement and talk to individuals, to go one-on-one -on -one with people to help them so they can be better than they are, establish a presence not only in the city of St. Louis, but in the world, mm -hmm. you can do things too. It really just right. shows that it's possible to do things even though you don't have everything. You can still do a lot of things that are very, very positive things. Right, um, and we have, a, we have a caller on the line. Uh, caller, you're live. Do you have a question or a comment? Yes, I do. I have two quick comments. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it really quick. I want to say to both Mrs. Lenders, thank you one million times because this information that you are giving is so edifying. I am so uplifted and pumped up listening oh. to this. And, and also, I want to tell you a quick story. I am an African hair care alchemist. 
So I, I am a licensed hairstylist, but I went into natural hair. And some years ago, I met an elderly woman who was 90, I believe she was 92 years old. And she told me that she was trained in this very school. Hold <laughs> on now. And she said that because she was trained in that school, she said, I was 15 years old. And she said, they only respected the licensure or training from that school that allowed her to get a license in Texas as well in the Midwest. All right. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And she said, had she not, she said she was able to take care of her family, sure, her mother. Sure. Yes. That is wonderful. Hello, sir. Oh, well, thank you awesome. so much for, oh. for calling in and sharing thank that you. with us. And, and thank I you for that beautiful have, comment. Yes. Awesome. I, I do have a couple of comments coming out of the chat or uh, question. One of them them is uh, has a definitive biography been written about Mrs. Malone or is there an effort to write her biography because the caller says she finds all of the madams of hair to be so intriguing. Yes, that's very true. You want to take that, Linda? <laughs> well, we're doing a lot of research. Um, that's something that we're trying to um, as Linda alluded to in the very beginning, there's so much misinformation out there or are different, varying from different um, sources. And right now, it's important that we find the right sources or find what's true, what, try to find as much as we can about her before we can think about writing a book. Right now, we're just looking to find out. I am amazed. I've been... Um, very quickly, I, I found out about Annie Malone uh, about maybe six years ago in Chicago at the DuSable Museum, and ever since that, I, I, I've been hooked on her, and I'm I'm so enamored with trying to find as much as I can, and I'm still searching. I'm still getting new things every day. So until we can have enough to put in a book, I mean, we have a lot, but we want more. You know, we, we just I want to find the truth. I do know that there are uh, a number of people who have been researching her over a number of years and are trying to compile information to present her story. And um, I know of at least two of those people. And uh, they're, they're from different angles, which is wonderful because she's got a lot of information to share. I mean, at one mm -hmm. point, she was a person who, who paid the largest amount of taxes in the state of Missouri and was the first person to own a rose person of color to own a rose voice in St. Louis. So there were so many firsts, so many things that she did. And um, I, I think there are lots of people who can look at her and research her and do books about her. I think the more that are released, the better. It gives the public uh, a really good eye view of the wonderful person that she was. This was a person who uh, was an extraordinary businesswoman. She was an inspiring and dedicated person to her community. And she was very, very generous in her commitment to philanthropic efforts. So if we could stamp out more people like that, I'm sure everybody would benefit from it. Right. Sure. And there's a, a, another comment coming out, and uh, it says, her legacy is not about money. It's about oh, giving serving right. and uplifting others a mighty yes, legacy exactly. to leave and yeah, so with 
with that, I, I want to just thank you so much for coming on tonight to share with us just the, the reviving the legacy of Mrs. Annie Malone. You have provided all of us with information that perhaps we did not know. And now we have another piece of information and hey, we may have some researchers out there who start digging and sending you information so that that biography can be written. So we would thank love you it if so anybody, much. we'd love it if anybody could send us anything by the uh, uh, website. Okay. Yeah. Artifacts, well, if I, they have any artifacts or, you know, brochures, anything, we'll, we'll be happy to take it. Great. Wonderful. So I just want to tell everyone just good evening. Thank you so much, <laughs> Linda Nance and Linda Jones. Uh, we now know more about the legacy of Mrs. Annie Malone than we knew prior to this call tonight. So remember everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and Beyond. Now you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and the Afrogenius com Facebook pages. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Babies, Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.